This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. And um, this morning we are in part four of our current teaching series. And in this series we are studying the book of Nehemiah. And today we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter eight. And in Nehemiah chapter eight, the walls have been restored. Now I think that deserves a bit of a cheer. Yeah. If you've been around for the last few weeks, and if not, you can catch up on the podcast, you'll know that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, starts with a problem. Nehemiah hears that the walls of his city, the walls of his homeland have been destroyed, that the gates have been burned, and that the people are in trouble and disgrace. His people have been taken into captivity, taken into exile, and Nehemiah has a problem, and so he does something about it. And if you want to know more about that, then you can look through uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 through to 7, you can listen to the podcast, but here we pick up the story in chapter 8, and the walls have been restored. This is good news, this is something to celebrate, but then the real work begins. Because then the work of restoring the people really begins. And Nehemiah begins to do that, he's appointed as the governor over the land of Judah, and there's a leader appointed over the city of Jerusalem, the people begin to work, and the people begin to give, and they take a um, register to see what it is they're working with, who's here, who have we got? The list lists around 43,000 people. And the real work begins of building the community, of building the people, because that's what the walls were always about. The walls were always about building the people building the community and that's why this series is called building people because it's not just a motivational image about building something it's not primarily about brick upon brick but about building people and building a people and so that's what we're looking into and that's what we're discovering over these weeks that Building ourselves, investing in ourselves, strengthening ourselves, growing ourselves, and in the process then also passing that on to others. And so that's where we pick up the story. The walls have been restored, and now the real work starts of restoring the people and the community. And that's where we pick up the story, right at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. It says, when the seventh month came... And the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. This is where we pick up the story. And there's a sense here of history repeating itself. There's a sense here of history repeating itself. You see... For the Israelites, they begin their journey in captivity. Hundreds of years before this point we've just read, they begin their story in captivity, in oppression, under the rule of the Egyptian Empire. Perhaps you've seen the Prince of Egypt. Anyone seen the Prince of Egypt? If not, I recommend it. A very good film. Not just for children. Some good music. That, that's why the, the children of Israel begin their journey in captivity under oppression, in slavery, and in their oppression they begin to cry out to God. And God hears their cry, and he responds, and he sets them free, and he rescues them, and he liberates them, because that is what God is like. The God who hears our cry 
Israel are led out of slavery into freedom. And they find themselves in the desert on their way to a promised land, a land that's been prepared for them, a land where they can be a people. And what happens next is that God speaks. God speaks and he gives them the law. We've just heard it referred to here in chapter 8, the law of the book of Moses. This people receive the word of God. And the law was not simply a set of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, a, a collection of regulations, but the law was seen as an incredibly precious and beautiful thing. Because it was the law that made them a people. It was the law that made them a nation. It was the law that gave them an identity. It was the law that set them apart as the people of God. People who were once slaves are now free and they have an identity as the people belonging to God. It instructed them how to live together in this newfound freedom. Where they could choose and where they had to work out. How do we live together this unprecedented situation? One writer describes the beauty of the law to these new liber- newly liberated slaves like this. Slavery is a fundamentally inhumane condition. Being owned and treated as property robs people of the dignity and honour of being a human. What God begins here at Sinai with the Ten Commandments, with the law, is the long process of teaching them how to be human again. These commandments are vital truths about what it means to live in authentic human community. The people of Israel had gone out of captivity into freedom. And what gives them their identity and what shapes them as a people is the word of God. And then here we are in Nehemiah chapter 8, hundreds of years later, and there is a sense that history is repeating itself again. Because they've been captive in exile. They've been slaves under the empire now of the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. They find themselves again in slavery. The walls have been destroyed. Their gates have been burned. They are in trouble and disgrace, we read in chapter 1. And then they're liberated. Because that's what God does. And then they are set free and they are allowed to return to their home. And because of Nehemiah, their city, their homeland, the place where they are from is restored. The walls are restored. And now the people must be restored. The community must be restored. And what makes them a people is the word of God is the law of God. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 8. As the people come together, as the people come together in one assembly, it says, as one. 43,000 people together as one. To listen in, to lean in to the word of God. Because that is what shapes them as a community. That is what defines them. That is what gives them their identity. In verse 2, there's this incredibly beautiful image. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. I don't know if you can imagine being there that day. You've been able to return to your homeland, and it's no longer just 
desolate, but the walls are being restored, and community is beginning to be restored, and you're there, and you're gathered, and you know something special is about to happen, something you've only ever heard of from your grandfather, and your grandmother, and your great-grandmother, the law of the book of Moses, the, the words that define you as a people, the very words of God are about to be read, and there you are, stood side by side, men and women, is there those able to understand? I imagine kind of the, perhaps the young teenagers are thinking, no, no, don't leave me at home. I, I get this. I, I want to hear this. I want to be there for this. This is significant. I can sense something in the air. This is something that I've never seen in my lifetime. Perhaps on, on their tiptoes, you know, straining to lean in because the, the word of God is about to be read to the community. They're about to hear something of the heart of God. For me, it's this incredibly beautiful image. The people gathered together in community and the word being read as it was always intended to be. You see, the Bible was always intended to be read and understood in community. The Bible was always intended to be read and understood in community. When the law was first given to the people, when they'd come out of slavery in Egypt, when the law was first given, when the word was first given to the people, it was given to the whole community. God spoke so that all could hear. And this was unique. And it is unique in the history of religion that a God would speak to a whole community, that a God would enter into an agreement with a whole community, a covenant with a whole people. One commentator says this, the idea of a covenantal relationship between God and an entire people is unparalleled. See, the Bible was always meant to be read and understood in community. And that is the beautiful picture we see here uh, in verse 2. Of the people gathered, leaning in to hear the word of God. We see the ancient Hebrew culture is very different in many ways to the modern Western culture in which most of us have grown and, and most of us have been shaped by. And one of the values of the culture that we live in, and certainly I've grown up in, is individualization. We live in a society that values individualization. Look what I did. I did that. I did that. I, I hear it in my children. I can do it all by myself. When my youngest was about three years old, you wanted to help with something? No way. I can do it all by myself. And she was three, but she picked up on the fact that we value individualization. We value when you are independent and you're able to do it all by yourself. And independence is a good thing, but not at the expense of interdependence. And not at the expense of community. And not if it leads to isolation. And I think we can see this often all around us. I think of when I was when I was a child, if I was out and about and I needed to make a phone call, then I needed two things. These were the two things that I needed. If you're um, of a certain age, this red thing is not an ornament, it's not a street ornament, it is a telephone box. And that is an old Tempe piece. <laughs> um, and if I was out and about and I needed to call home to check what time is tea or what time do I have to be back or can so-and-so come round, then this is what I needed. And sometimes you had to queue up to get to the phone box. Do you remember that? Other people were using your phone box 
because it was a shared phone book, so you had to share it with others. Sometimes you got in there and you thought, oh my goodness, it stinks. Did you ever have that experience because somebody else had used the phone box, possibly for the things they shouldn't have used the phone box for? Or sometimes the glass was broken because people decided that would be a good time, to, a good thing to do with their time to break the glass of the phone box. It didn't stop the phone working though. You could still use the phone with broken glass. And that's what you had to do if you needed to make a phone call. You had to find a phone box where you had to hope you had the right change. And not like 50p, because that was a waste. So it's going to take your whole 50p when it, all you needed was 10p. You see, times have changed, haven't they? And for me, now if I'm out and about and I need to make a phone box, and I don't I need to make a phone call, I don't need to find a phone box to share with anyone else. I have my very own phone call making machine in my back pocket. It's my individual phone call making machine, and I don't have to share it with anyone. Unless I'm out for dinner and my children are bored, and I need to kind of amuse them with their iPlayer. But times have changed, haven't they? And now I, I don't have to share this with anyone because I have my very own individual mobile phone. Times have changed, and we live in a society that values individualization independence and it's all around us and it shapes us often without us realizing you see the problem with that is as a result of being shaped by this modern western value of individualization we without realizing it can become very good at individualizing christianity we can become really good at individualizing christianity and so sometimes we can devalue gathering together we can devalue the gathering together. I remember talking to someone once and then saying, well, you know, it's just about me and Jesus. I don't really do church. It's just me and Jesus. And I thought, you know what? It is you and Jesus. And that is the wonder of Christianity, that we get to engage in a relationship with the King of the universe revealed in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is you and Jesus, but it is never just you and Jesus. Because when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you enter into this incredible, massive, worldwide family called the family of God, the body of Christ, called the church, of which this is a local expression. So it's never just you and Jesus. If we're not careful, this value that's just all around us, individualization, independence, it affects the way we see faith. Perhaps sometimes we don't, someone says, how are you doing? And we're like, yes, fine, thanks. When actually, nothing right now feels right. But we've got to do ourselves. Individualization. Couldn't ask for help. Couldn't be honest. Couldn't cry in front of that person. And sometimes it affects the way that we approach the Bible. But primarily, we look to read it and understand it on our own. And the problem with that is we begin to interpret it solely through our own eyes, our own understanding, our own experience, what I think, what I feel, what I see. You see, the Bible was always intended to be read and understood in community. And that's one of the reasons that we have small groups that meet during the week. We call them life groups on Thursday evenings, where small groups can gather together around the Word of God around the Bible, and together understand what God is saying to us. And with our different perspectives and our different questions and our different experiences, bring all of that into this wonderful mishmash we call community, and because of that, each grow deeper in our understanding. 
rather than just one perspective looking at it. So this is a communal book, and it is meant to shape us as a community. And that's how it was always intended to be. And that's unusual. That is unique. That is something special. This is a book that, a word that is always given to a community, always intended to be read in community. So let's not reduce it to my very own personal pocket guide. Yes, let's read it on our own, because what we do individually shapes what happens communally. But let's make sure that we engage in it with others. And not just when the church program says, half past seven till nine o'clock on a Thursday evening, but in our friendships and in our relationships. You know, what are you reading? What are your questions? What are you wrestling with at the moment? What is the thing you've just discovered that you can pass on to me that would help me where I am at? Always allowing others to shape our understanding. And so the passage continues. We hear more of this moment where they gather together to lean into the word. In verse 7 it says, the Levites, I'll need you, need you to read those names at home. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now I don't know about you, but I would have appreciated the Levites that day. The people who were there giving the meaning, making it clear so that people could understand what was being read. See, because it's possible to read something and not understand it, isn't it? It is very possible to read something and not understand it. Let me illustrate. With Sampa in its current form, there is a problem in transcribing Russian and various other languages in which consonant palatalization plays an important role. This applies not only to several other languages of Eastern Europe, but also, for instance, to Irish. Russian has a phonemic opposition between pairs of consonants, one palatalized, soft, and the other not, e.g. brat to bring versus brat brother. Currently, the only way to write the palatalized consonants in Sampa is as a two-place symbol, consonant plus J. This is unsatisfactory, particularly since the language also has sequences of non-palatalized consonant plus a separate J. It is possible to read something and not understand it. And in fact, I had to practice reading that a few times. <laughs> to make sure I was, I think, saying it correctly. But it's possible to read something and not understand it. And I don't know about you, but that is sometimes my experience when I come to read the Bible. And I remember as a young person, in my early teens, I remember I, I, I would sit down at the end of the day, and before I went to bed, I would try and read the Bible. And I'd get ready, and I'd sat up in bed, and I'd read about two verses... And then I'd have to get out of bed and walk around the house and find my dad and say, Dad, it says this. And I'd read him a couple of verses. What does that mean? I don't understand. Quite often, this was something that happened in our house. Like now, years later, I feel sorry for my dad that I expected he would know every single verse of scripture at the drop of a hat. He'd be able to explain it succinctly to me to be able to understand as a 13-year-old. But that was my question when I came to the Bible. What does this mean? I don't understand. And what I've begun to realise over the years is that there are better questions that I could have been asking. I've come to realise that understanding the Bible begins with asking the right questions. And so this morning I want to share with you some of the questions that I ask when I read the Bible, when I'm studying the Bible, in order to help me understand. 
Because understanding the Bible begins with asking the right questions. So one of the questions I ask is who wrote this and why did they write it? See, the Bible is made up of 66 books and many different authors. It spans over thousands of years. And so any part of the Bible probably has a different author to another part that you're reading. There are some people who wrote multiple books, but when we approach the Bible, we need to say, well, who wrote this? What do I know about them? What did they go through? What's their story? What's their journey? And why did they write it? Because they had a purpose for writing. And if I understand that, I'm going to understand something more of the meaning of the passage. Another question I ask is, how does history, geography, archaeology, and culture shed light on the meaning of the passage? So let's do a bit of research. Perhaps you are someone who really enjoys history. So let's do a bit of research, because otherwise what I do, understanding that these passages are written in a different culture to mine, in a different age to mine, in a real place, involving real people, if I don't begin to look at that context, then the danger is that I, without realising, put my assumptions of what my town looks like and what the culture is that's shaped me and what's going on in my life, I put these assumptions on what I'm reading and end up with a conclusion that text was never meant to make. Another question I ask is how does the understanding the original language help me understand the text? Because the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek and small parts in Aramaic. And so what's fascinating is if you hold those two languages, those ancient languages up with English, they don't kind of sit together very easily. Bible translators have had a real challenge on their hands for hundreds of years. And sometimes we have one word and some of the ancient languages have like four. And in the culture they have different connotations to what we'd understand. And so sometimes actually digging into what was, what was the original language saying helps us to understand something different. <coughs> helps us to understand something about the meaning of the text. Another question I ask is how do others how do other passages of scripture help me understand this passage? So how does this fit into the overall story of the Bible? And Bibles are really helpful. They have footnotes at the bottom. But sometimes it actually refers you to other parts of the Bible where you can look and kind of see more about what it's referring to. Another question I ask when I'm coming to read the Bible and I'm seeking to understand. God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to show me through this passage? What do I need to see right now? What's in your heart for me right now as I read this passage? Those are some of the questions that I ask as I'm reading the Bible in order to understand. Because I've begun to realise that understanding the Bible begins with asking the right questions. And in a few weeks' time, we are hosting a training day here on Saturday the 17th of February, all around how to study the Bible. We look at some of those questions, we look at other questions, we look at how we can do that in groups. I think we've got a slide um, with this on. A study masterclass. And we, this is open to anyone. You are invited. If you think, well that sounds interesting, but how do I do that? And what's, what more is there? And we want to invite you to come and be a part of that. To come and learn how to understand it, the Bible and engage with the Bible more. 
And so I told you some of the questions I asked. Some of the ways that I answer those questions is some things that are really helpful. First of all, study Bible. Study Bibles have, of course, all the words of the Bible, but have other things that are really helpful. Introductions to the book. Who, who wrote it? Why did they write it? Stuff about what's going on in the culture. They're really helpful. And my, um, my phone call, individual phone call making team also doubles up as a Bible. There's a brilliant app called YouVersion that you can download and um, have the Bible in your back pocket and to make a phone call from it. That is pretty good, right? Um, and it's also an option there that you can listen to the Bible. And so maybe you, you don't learn very well from reading, but you learn more from listening. So there's an option there. And certainly on my one, it's the guy who sounds like a cross between Liam Neeson and Sean Connery. So when he reads the Bible, it is like epic surround sound Bible reading. Um, so that is fantastic. It's a really helpful website there as well to begin to discover these answers. Biblehub.com, the one I've got there at the bottom, here we've got a screen for this, is really helpful at looking at the original language. So for any verse that has an option where you can click on Hebrew or click on Greek, and it begins to show you the, the original language and where else that word is used in scripture. Perhaps it's translated slightly differently for us. And I find that really helpful in understanding what does this mean? But what are you saying? Whenever, um, whenever we study the Bible, we have to do it with caution. We have to do it with caution because a few Google searches do not make me a Bible scholar. In fact, limitless Google searches do not make me a Bible scholar. And as with any research, we need to read cautiously and we need to consult various sources and we need to interpret it in community and in discussion as it was always intended to be. As we imagine this scene where the people are gathered together, where the people are gathered together as one, leaning into the word, uh, there's this this fascinating detail that we read in verse 4, which has just captured my imagination this week. And in verse 4, it says, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. See, Ezra had a platform, and it was made of wood, and it was built for the occasion. And from his platform, what he did is he declared the story of God and people. And he helped people to see their part in the story. And he communicated the heart and the nature and the character of God from his platform. This is fascinating. A little bit later in chapter 8, he says, you have a part to play. Your part is celebrating. Today is the day to celebrate. And, and he goes on to say, they explain another festival that they were to celebrate that they just didn't know because this word had been hidden for so many years as they'd been in exile. He, from his platform, helps them to understand their part to play, their response to the word. And he communicates the heart of God. He says, today is the day for a festival. Today is the day to celebrate. So go, go and eat, go and drink, and send portions to those who have none. As you celebrate, as you spend time together, as you eat, as you drink, send portions to those who have none. Do you see the heart of God communicated from the, his platform? The God who is concerned for those who do not have. The God who is concerned for those who would be isolated, excluded. The God who has a heart for the poor. And so Ezra has this platform. And it's made of wood. And it's built for the occasion. 
Much like the platform that we have, this is made of wood, it's built for the occasion, and from his platform he communicates the story of God and people, he helps people to find their place in the story, and he communicates the heart and the nature and the character of God. Yeah. You see, the reason this has captured me this week yeah. is because I realised that I may stand here for half an hour this morning, but that actually I have a platform. And you have a platform. And it's not this. We don't carry this around with us day to day. But you have a platform. It is called your life. The things that you say and the things that you do and the friendships that you have, the relationships that you have, your social media platform, the places that you go, the activities that you engage in, you have a platform and the occasion is now. You have a platform from which you can communicate the story of God and people. Which you can help people to find their place in the story. And which you can communicate something of the heart of God to the people around you. And as I'm reflecting on that this week, I'm asking myself some difficult questions. How am I using my platform? What is being communicated from my platform? Because my life is my platform. And the occasion is now. It's always. So I'm asking myself questions. Questions like, what are the values that are communicated from my platform? Because we live in a world of so many conflicting voices, don't we? So many voices, so many voices. This is what's important. This is what life is about. This is how you find meaning. This is what will make you happen. And have you noticed we live in a noisy world? Everyone is talking. Everything is talking and communicating. These voices, these conflicting voices. And in the midst of that, I'm asking myself, well, how am I using my platform? What is the message that I'm communicating from my platform? What does my platform help people understand about God? From my platform, the people that I interact with day to day, my Facebook status, do people see that God is real and that God is good and that he's kind and that he's gracious and that he's generous and that he's full of grace and truth and mercy? Do I use my platform to challenge injustice and to stand up against the evil that grips so many? To say, that's not okay. That's not how it's meant to be. That is not how it always will be. And this is how it can be different. Do I use my platform to help people understand that they have a part to play in the greatest adventure? That they were born for adventure? That they were born to play a part in the greatest adventure? That being a Christian is not simply praying a, pe- praying a prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die. But it is an invitation into the greatest adventure to join God in his mission of restoring all things and making all things new. See, we have a purpose. We have a part to play and it's joining God in his purpose. I wonder if the band could come and help us as we draw to a close. I'm asking myself the question... 
I'm asking you the question this morning, are you making the most of the opportunities to communicate from your platform? Not from here, but tomorrow when you're at work, when you're talking with family, when you're updating your social media platform, and the things that you do and the way that you respond, because your life is your platform and the occasion is now. Are we making the most of the opportunities? Last week I was travelling with work and I was on my way back from the south of England and I was flying back and I was sat at the airport gate in this small airport in Exeter and the lady next to me turned to me and said, is this the right gate for the Manchester flight? And I said, yeah, yeah. We began talking a little bit and she said, oh, oh, I don't like flying. I don't like flying. I just, I just, well, I get worked up. I can feel it already. I can feel it coming. And um, I know there are people who don't like flying, and there are bits of it I'm not a fan of, but I had never seen anxiety uh, so evident in someone's body as that moment. And my heart went out to her. And I thought, there is something that I can say right now from my platform. My platform was not wooden, it was a cold, hard metal chair next to Claire, who was on her way to Manchester. And I said, I'm a Christian, and I just wonder if I can pray for you. And pray that you can really sense God's peace on this journey and that you wouldn't be anxious. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, would it be okay if I prayed for you now? She said, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to pray. I kept my eyes open. I didn't shout loud. I didn't pray for long. She said, God, I thank you for Claire. And I pray that she would experience your peace that surpasses understanding as she travels today. You know what? I was terrified. Honestly, I was really, I was really, I just felt really nervous. I could hear it in me. I could, I could feel it in me. But I thought I have an opportunity right now for someone to see that there is a God who is interested in what she is going through right now. There is a God who cares about Claire from Scotland on her way to Manchester. There is a God who is able to calm our fears. There is a God who is able to silence the worry and the anxiety to bring peace that surpasses understanding to our being. And I'm asking myself the question, because sometimes I don't take the opportunities and I think, oh, I could have, I could have, I could have used my platform. Your life, my life, is our platform. And the occasion is now to communicate the story of God and people. The story of what God is like. Their part to play in this great adventure. And as I'm reflecting on it this week, I am challenged. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.